Welcome to Australian Hunger, I'm your host Ben. On today's show I've got an interview with Canadian band Even The Trees. Their album, If Only Every Day, could be like this. Really cool story actually behind this one. So I do recommendations on some episodes for an album you might want to check out. I did one for their album because I'd heard it. Really cool combination of post-hardcore, post-rock, prog. Um, a little bit outside my wheelhouse and I do like to kind of recommend things that are a bit... Maybe not out there, but out there for me. Uh, that's kind of something that I really want to do. And I recommend it. And somehow they found it. Really interesting because this podcast is not that big. There's no kind of... There was no linking on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter which would have notified them that they'd been tagged. But somehow one of their friends was searching around and found the episode and had to let them know. So they put out a tweet saying, SO to Oz Hunger for their incredibly kind words about our album, If Only Every Day Could Be Like This, on his podcast. Go check out the latest episode, blah, 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 link. And that got back to me, obviously, because they tagged me. And yeah, then I thought, hang on, I, they're a cool band. I actually would, wouldn't mind talking to them. So we set up an interview and the rest is as it goes into the interview. So really, really cool story. And it's interesting just the power of to be able to just hear someone from across the seas do something related to that. And then they'll hear about it and we just kind of get together. So really, really cool stuff. Nick and Mike from Even the Trees, their album, If Only Every Day Could Be Like This. During the interview, I play three tracks, Progress Avenue, then A Hole in the Ice Part 2, and at the end, Tonight We Don't Think We Do. This is Even the Trees. So just for people, you know, just so they can differentiate you guys, uh, could you just introduce yourselves, um, maybe say something briefly about you and, and what you do in the band? All right. Uh, my name's Nick. Uh, I play guitar and compose a bulk of the music in the band uh, for the time being. And uh, other than that, I um, my passions include collecting vinyl and CDs, and I work as an AV tech otherwise. And I'm Mike. Uh, I yell at people. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm the vocals on the album, vocals for the band. Uh, I took up a lot of the lyric and vocal writing. And outside of the band, I've I do a solo project. I got a side band, and I teach. <laughs> so where did the band start? So this is basically my baby from like way back. I think we traced it back formally to about 2005 of me kind of formally like releasing a debut effort of like an instrumental kind of demo. Um, basically way back when, since I started like playing guitar, I always was more drawn to songwriting and melody. And even with a dollar store microphone, I was always demoing songs as a kid on like not even a DAW, just like Windows sound recorder. <laughs> mm. um, so then fast forward a couple of years, I got introduced to like Guitar Pro software for tabbing my songs and more like DAWs such as uh, Adobe Audition and onto like Cubase and Pro Tools and stuff like that. And so it was always just kind of trying to hone my own style and like just write songs. At the same time as like discovering new music and like learning those songs and analyzing how they write those songs, and uh, basically ever since 2005 is when I tried to get a lineup together. 
uh, tons of drummers, tons of second guitar players, tons of bass players, kind of revolving door of members, but never a vocalist that stuck around. And then uh, around and then 2000- I ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> then around like what 2012, 13ish, I had like a lineup for like three, four years that was the most consistent. And then everyone quit one at a time, and I basically almost it was I was left back to like uh, square one, like. I was like, do I try to reform this band again, or do I just kind of quit? And I was almost on the verge of just selling my gear and going to do something totally different, like interior design or something, I'd call it, like a university here. <laughs> like something totally random. Uh, I was pretty beat up about it, but then uh discovered some new bands that kind of reignited my love for music and decided to do audio production. And then through that program, I mutually met uh, Mike on vocals, and then our drummer... We worked at the same store together, but we're both like into AV. And uh, our bass player Chris, he actually originally was asked to play drums for the project. I found him on YouTube back when he lived in Sudbury, which is about uh, many hours north of here in Toronto, in Ontario. And uh, he moved to Toronto or Mississauga rather to go to school for audio productions, which is when we started jamming. And uh, basically. Finding everyone on a lot more mutual terms was a lot better than kind of like Craigslist ads before or just desperately trying to like just find members and auditioning people like that. Um, It was nice to be friends first. Friends first and then kind of jamming after that. And the moral is kind of like you really kind of persevere through patience and just like really finding the right people because there is a lot of people I found that are good but had some vices or some certain things in their personal lives or things that I knew would be obstacles in a band. So rather than knowing the process of like how much of a headache that can be, I just kind of steered away from it right away. Um, so it took a long time to get here, but in hindsight, every bit of it was worth it. So sorry, I was a little long, long winded, but there's a bit of a <laughs> history there. How exactly do you kind of go about I don't know, like... No, I'm not going anywhere with that question. Oh, we'll move on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know I, where I you're kinda, trying I to ask. Feel, I feel like I know where you're going, too. <laughs> All right, if you want to uh, finish the question for like, me... Yeah, Mike, try it. Uh, like, how do you come up with a band when it seems like there's so many factors, right? Like, there's so much that almost counts against you so many stuff uh, so many things to consider when you're bringing a group of people together to do something creative is that kind of where you were going with it yeah kind of kind of well i i think that the band works really well because all of us have come from a lot of different projects this is not like a first band for everybody and going through a lot of different projects has shown us what works and what doesn't especially in terms of like the kind of content we wanted to create it seems like even the trees ended up being a project that pushed all of us. And it was, uh, I guess an outlet to do something bigger or more experimental or more like mature. Whereas in other bands that doesn't mean that the stuff we did before wasn't mature, but it was, I don't know. It seems like this band happened because four people were in the right headspace at the same time. And yeah, well said. And like, in my mind, I definitely have a bit of a checklist of prerequisites I like want out of people. Um, And back when I asked Mikey to like try out for vocals, 
he was actually rather shy about it. He's like, no, I don't have the chops for it, man. He was just like, I'm flattered, <laughs> but like, no, no. And I just remember I kept like, I was like just bombarding with texts like weekly, just being like, nah, man, try it, try it, let's do it, let's do it. Then I eventually got him over. We did like a vocal demo in my, and like he screamed in my closet and like, <laughs> I think we did a uh, whole nice part one initially or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and, it was short. Uh, it was quick. It was like, it was short and quick. And then I'm like, yo, see, it's fucking sick. And like, it was virtually <laughs> the same thing that ended up on the album. Like just a little more polished up now with the little background oohs and ahs and everything. But like, I told him on the spot, I'm like, see, like I showed him like other demos people tried to do over that song. And I'm like, none of these quite like hit the mark. And like you, like there's something here. And, uh, same thing with like drums and stuff. I had other drummers that like I'm still friends with, um, but maybe like this, some of the material got to be a little challenging. And like I always want to write a little more ambitious kind of like patterns or like polyrhythms and this and that. Um, and like like they eventually got to be able to play it. But um, with Mike, our current drummer. I remember the first time we jammed, he played Meshuggah's Bleed as while he was, like, warming up. And I just looked at our guitar player at the time, and I'm like, yo, he's in. Because if he can play that, like, because a lot of the like, patterns, like, kick heavy and stuff, I'm like, if he can play that, this guy can do anything. And then, like, I showed him the rest of the songs. He's like, cool. And, like, next practice, I was like, try to learn one or two of them. And he came, and he knew, like, five songs. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is going to be a walk in the park. And it has been. And to be quite frank, like I can't wait to see what future material sounds like with him writing his own drum parts, like entirely. Cause for this release, I had drum ideas like already kind of predetermined, which would always like kind of already coexist. So it always like kind of be in the way of like anyone's creative process. Cause it already kind of makes sense to exist there. And, uh, kind of influence their decisions but if i gave him just a blank slate i can't wait to see what like he would do with it where did the name for the band come from oh this one's a funny quick story um <laughs> i kind of like to pre preset it by saying there was an old instrumental ep uh when it was still under the moniker uh even the trees uh i on purpose released it on april 20th because <laughs> everyone thinks even the trees that it's like a weed reference and then like i was okay i'll release it on you know 420 it'll be hilarious and that kind of like provoked that more but the funny little fact is like i've never smoked weed personally um, <laughs> and people are always like shocked by that and especially with the name and everything but the actual name comes from um an american comedy maybe you've seen it uh clerks too does that name sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds familiar. I can't say I've seen it, though, unfortunately. Okay, uh, I highly recommend it. It's one of those just straight-up, like, dialogue comedies. And so the two main characters at a fast-food restaurant, and um, I think his buddy is, like, working behind the counter, and uh, they're discussing movies, and it initially started about the whole, like, Star Wars, Star Trek debate, um, and then it moved on to Lord of the Rings, and this guy is saying, like, oh, man, Lord of the Rings is the most boring movie in existence. Here, let me reenact all the movies. And, like, on the spot, he's just kind of, like, slowly walking across the restaurant being like, here's part one. He takes, like, three steps. Here's <laughs> part two. He takes a couple steps, trips a little bit, and then he looks behind them and takes a couple more steps. And then part three, he's, like, he walks to an edge, takes a ring off his finger, throws it down a cliff, shrugs and walks away, and he's like, 
that movie was so fucking boring, even the trees fucking walked in it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's kind of a funny name. Like, kind of like I was laughing. I'm like, and originally the name was going to be Even the Trees Walked. But then I felt like that kind of almost pigeonholed it to sounding more of like a sludge or like metal band kind of name. Uh, <laughs> which is actually kind of cool to think of it now in hindsight. Like, it should be like our. It sounds pretty <laughs> heavy. <laughs> yeah, like. We should just do an EP that's like really heavy stuff and just call it that. But uh, I just kind of <laughs> went with the good old like blank the blank kind of name formula. Easy to remember and just even the trees. And uh, yeah, so it's just kind of a quote off of a movie. Uh, no disrespect towards any of those movies, obviously. Uh, <laughs> they're all great, <laughs> I imagine. But uh, it was just a really funny scene. When did you kind of the material for this album start to come forth because as you mentioned this project has been a long time coming like when, when did this kind of something that resembles the album start to uh, uh you know be, be be created uh this answer is a little embarrassing uh bulk of it's around 2008 or 2009 so it is it's been quite a bit of time um mm. But it's matured so much. We were it's digging matured. up some old demos, what, just after the album release, and it's crazy how different some things are. Yeah, the oldest song on the record is technically uh, track five, Outlines. I think I, I sent the guys a demo that predated to like 2003 for that one. Um, and it was like 80% the same parts. <laughs> um, but otherwise... There's so much like reimagining or restructuring, and especially with the vocals coming into play. Some songs like uh, Here Comes the Walking Fire is like a combination of a bunch of new parts or riffs from old songs, like put into a whole different key. It was some ideas I had like written for like some seven string material that I altered back to being on six string and uh, kind of put that all together. Um, but the newer material songs on the album are songs like Progress Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, track 10 tonight, We Don't Think We Do, and the final mm-hmm. track are Thinker, the newest. That kind of predate in like the last four or five years or so. And how did you, like, what is your process for writing music? And has it kind of changed over the years? Um,. Funny enough, like when I discovered Periphery and Misha's like writing process, I was like, holy crap, this guy is doing the exact same thing I do, but he's <laughs> making totally different music. But we both kind of go on the same kind of progressive moniker of like, they call themselves progressive, but they're like, they're a metal band, but people will still argue that. But their uh, mentality of progressive is like, they just write what they want to hear and like make music that they're personally fans of. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to follow a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus kind of song structure. They just want to write the parts that inspire them or like maybe focus a song around like a riff or just a uh, like a little cool concept or something. So that being said, like um, when I discovered kind of like Guitar Pro and like software drums and everything, I was like, okay, I can kind of be like a one man band. And kind of get, like, really good pictures drawn of, like, these song ideas that can, like, really draw people into maybe, like, work with me and stuff. And 
honestly, a bulk of the initial ideas was start an acoustic guitar super late at night, and there's like tons of videos on my phone that I, like I, I'm still going through now for like new material. They're just like it'll either start with like a full two minute thing or maybe just a 10 second clip that just inspires the full thing. But I never force it. I'm never going to sit down and be like, cool, today I have to write to this riff and like try finish it. It just kind of, it'll just happen. Like some songs would just come out in a couple hours. I remember when uh, Progress Avenue came about, um, I think I mostly wrote it on Guitar Pro initially, then demoed it quickly after that. But I remember spending, I was up for maybe like 22 hours straight, like just on my computer, like, stepping out every couple hours to get like coffee and some food or something, but just being so hyped on it because <laughs> that was really that, that song it's easy to listen to, but there's a lot of technical underlying to it. Um, so yeah, that, that song was a lot of fun, but in general, I just try not to overthink. I, I like ride it apart while it's still inspiring, but if it's ever, like, I feel like I'm just, like, dragging my feet or, like, really trying to just kind of force this part to make sense, then I know it's not going to work to my liking. Or if I kind of get to that point, I would just kind of spit out stupid ideas and be like, okay, I like these parts. I know this part I'm probably not going to like. I'll sleep on it. I'll see what I think about it a week later. Chances are it gets scrapped. Or there's some parts that, like, when we were restructuring Walking Fire, there was a couple breakdowns, remember, I wanted to add in the songs. And um, the rest of the guys, and like primarily Chris, is kind of like a gatekeeper of like what riffs are going to pass or not. And I was like, I really like this riff in the song. And he's just like, nah, like I like the part, but it it's too much. Like it's it's not it doesn't add to the song. But I'm he like, keeps but us like grounded. It. You kind of get really kind of keeps that like non um, biased kind of opinion, just like really being the most objective and being like, trust me, like it's a good part keep it on the back burner not for this song and then i'll like bite my tongue and be like, okay i'll take it out and then like now i list, listen back to demo that had that part and i'm like fuck he's right like it did drag on <laughs> so like it kind of helps to really have especially nowadays like these guys around me to help uh keep my like kind of creativity to like not be overwhelming <laughs> Yeah, we've, we 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 kind of work together to focus things. It's not like we ever try to inhibit any creativity, but when we feel like something's going to really push something forward, we're like, yeah, keep doing that. Or if we feel like something's like way too wacky, it's like, mm, okay, maybe we could save that for something else. And another thing that like um, this, like I've told this to some people that are other like songwriters that are like when I've had bands stay over my place and just try to talk about songwriting. Not too many people do this, but like. For the sad parts in the album, or like the much more moodier parts, like I literally would turn off all the lights in the studio room, or just put up like a red light or anything, and just like get in the worst headspace. Even though if I'm writing instrumentals, like I, I try to tell a story, like because I can't write lyrics, so I try to tell a story through the music and the moods that I'm trying to like portray, or just like I kind of look at the songs like a bit of a play. And I, like I said, I would literally, you know, there's that whole joke of like when you try to go to sleep and like you reenact all your 10, the last 10 years of embarrassing moments and you can't like turn <laughs> your brain off or something. I would literally just be like, hey, remember how you made an ass of yourself in that situation or this? And I just try to like kind of whatever the song's kind of about and just try to really get 
in that mindset and that kind of would inspire like those gloomy sounds or just atmospheres or I guess like structure choices in the song to like you know if the song is going sad to not take a right turn and like become a happy song of the song just be like no let's just go into the deep end and like there's like there's no happy ending like it's not a fucking Hollywood movie or something you know <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's gonna feel and that's kind of a, a thing that I feel like really translate with the album that the feedback we got is that people kind of got that, that like, it's a very passionate album, like kind of tries to really convey like some real emotion and stuff. So yeah. 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 And one fun fact is that when, whenever we recorded a lot of that album, you'll notice there's a lot of really washy, pretty spacey ambient stuff, a lot of post-rock inspired stuff. And a lot of that stuff ended up happening without a lot of the band around Nick tended to get into his space that he was talking about and do that without us. So it was always really cool to sit down after, I don't know, a couple of nights of not hearing about the songs. And then he'd be like, Hey guys, I finished this part. And it's just like, Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So somehow you've made this like Dolby 7.1 surround sound wash of tones. Like, where did this come from? (laughs) And I guess another quick example is the very end of the album, part three, um, that three minute like instrumental bit, that little reprise at the end was always in the initial demo, that little happy kind of sounding bit. But I felt like it would come in too soon after that final chord. So I always wanted to write something around it. And um, earlier this summer, I kind of mentioned it earlier, um, we moved as a family for the first time and... Uh, we were moving away from like the house I grew up in for like 24 years. And uh, that's where I had like this little studio set up and stuff. And that was the last thing I recorded in that space, like while the room was half packed up and everything. So like I said, getting in like that weird, sad kind of mindset. So it was, it was really kind of a kind of flagship song for like saying goodbye to the house he grew up in. So that's why the, after that final chord, it's kind of really that desolate, sad, hanging chord where you're kind of just like overwhelmed with memories and everything. And then it kind of flows through, like just kind of fast forwarding through like all your ups and downs of growing up in a place. And so like it's 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 a lot of stuff that's easy to listen to and be like, oh, this all sounds cool. But like it really every note or like every bit on the album is like intentional, I guess is my overall point. <laughs> Mike, with, with the vocals, to what extent were they kind of the already the ideas already sort of laid down, and to what extent did you kind of bring new ideas to the um, to the album? Um, honestly, there was only one pre-existing demo that I really really liked. Uh, Chad, I think was the name. Yes, Chad. Chad, right, Nick? Chad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So one of the one of the various members that Nick had gone shopping for online had written a really, really cool demo for um, Second Chances. And of all the other demos that I had heard, that was the one that I kind of latched onto the most. But otherwise, when I joined into the band, the, uh, the album was a clean slate for me. And that was really cool, but also kind of intimidating. Like Nick was saying, it took me a while to actually feel confident in writing anything on the album because i was like wow this has so much more depth than anything i've ever written before or anything i've ever been involved in and it was a bit of a 
I guess a challenge that I was really, really happy to be taking on. And um, like Nick had mentioned, a lot of his riffs and a lot of his writing style tends to tends to do a really good job of telling a story without vocals on top of it. So one of the big things I had to work with and work to overcome was making sure that I didn't like bury those ideas, make sure that I complemented those ideas. And it was, I don't know, it was just a really cool process. There were songs that, um, let me think, songs like uh, Tonight We Don't Think We Do, which felt really melodramatic and heavy and brooding. And when I initially heard it, I was picturing such a different song than what we ended up with in the end. And a lot of that came from, I guess, my my tendency to sort of write from a poppy R&B sort of place where I was like, oh, okay, we could actually take this crazy time signature and turn it into something that's palatable for people because... <laughs> It had so many twists and turns, and I was like, this is amazing. But, like, for the casual listener, this is so rough to listen to because it just goes all over the place. So that that was a song I had a lot of fun, like, molding, I guess, in a way, with vocals. Whereas some other ones, I had never written as heavy as I did on this album. And it was really cool to spend the writing process improving my screams, uh, in the studio, I learned where my low scream finally sat properly, and I was like, "Yes, okay, good. Let's <laughs> let's take this and do something with it." <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was it in terms of like vocals. But lyrically, um, Nick had done a really good job of naming all these songs. I found he had like a lot of the titles on the album existed before I showed up. And, and funny enough, I was like, "Go ahead and change them," and like. None of them ended up changing. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to. They almost served as like a like a thesis almost or like yeah. a, like something about them always drew me towards a topic or towards um, some sort of way of expressing what I was feeling writing the songs. And so it was like I had I'd actually written a big doc that I sent to the guys while I was working abroad that sort of outlined some of my thought process. But um Things like the Hole in the Heist trilogy. <laughs> as soon as I read that, I was picturing literally a hole in the ice. But it kind of became like this metaphor of like when you look out on a frozen lake and you see like this perfect, serene, uh, not a single flaw in this lake. But suddenly you notice this little spot, this little imperfection, this little hole. And the more you pay attention to it, the more it kind of ruins that perfection it ruins what you got in front of you and the more you pay attention to it the more it bugs you the more it kind of irritates you and the trilogy itself kind of became a trilogy about kind of seeing that in yourself seeing that in the relationships you have seeing that in your life in general when you start to nitpick and drive yourself crazy and focus too hard on something instead of enjoying something for what it is and just that metaphor itself fueled so much in all three of those songs. And it, I think it helped me to develop a lot as a, a writer, as a lyricist, as a composer to have something meaningful to write rather than just kind of boopity-doop-boop and then filling it in later <laughs> with some rhymes that made sense. <laughs> and I, yeah, 
the way you actually kind of it sort of happens in the band but like let's take a hypothetical process uh nick yeah. comes to you with saying like all right this is going to be on the album Here, here's a song let's write vocals and lyrics to it how, how do you approach that um well lots of listens especially with our instrumentals there there's a lot going on um that's kind of where we started off with Progress Avenue. He had introduced that to me when we were working together on uh, some recordings for my band. We had met up in the studio because he was finishing his engineering program and I needed, uh, like, he needed us to finish his final project where he was making yeah, a EPK uh, for our band. Subject. <laughs> and so he had presented Progress Avenue to me like one night at like three in the morning when we were grinding away on my band stuff. And I was like, Nick, what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> ew, like, how did you like, where did you come up with these polyrhythms? Like, what, how am I, wh- what are you doing here? And it was like a couple of nights of analysis. Uh, I sat on it for a long time. And eventually I was coming up with little parts here and there. But again, I needed a latching point. A lot of what happens with me when I write is I need something to make me feel like I'm actually writing for a purpose. I'm not usually, at least now anyway, I'm not usually just writing for the sake of writing. I'm writing to tell a story or I'm writing to make a statement or I'm writing to get some sort of an emotion out. So that's usually where I start is like, where is my latching point or what is the purpose I'm going for with the song? And then... That usually follows with, like, lots and lots of tangential thinking, whether that's getting onto YouTube and watching a bunch of videos related to that feeling or that topic or that place. A lot of this album kind of came from 
dealing with especially the whole nice trilogy especially songs like hollowed out outlines uh here comes a walking fire there's lots of songs that were dealing with i guess my mental and emotional state at the time so a lot of it was venting too so a lot of it was like therapeutic i guess finding that latching point and then thinking, oh, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with this thing that's currently bothering me right now. How can I get rid of this? Or, ah, this has really been tough on me. My career is not going anywhere. How am I going to talk about my career without sounding like a hokey loser? How am I going to make something that's relatable? How am I going to make something that's like raw? How am I going to make something that actually captures how hard this is? And yeah, so latching point is usually where I start. And then I just write. I write like crazy. I throw down four or five different versions of a song. It's it's never usually melodies that give me a hard time. It's usually content. And then I usually end up in Nick's closet yelling at a microphone for a while and hoping that it (laughs) sounds right. And then things will go through iterations. There were some songs that worked right away, some songs that took like five or six drafts, sitting on them, having a eureka moment in the shower or while I'm on the toilet or something and going back to it. it. It's it's always varied. It's always different. But the one thing that always has stayed consistent is finding that like that little seed, that, that seed that's going to sprout something interesting. You guys have mentioned the Hole in the Ice trilogy a few times. It's really interesting because it spreads across the entire album, uh, beginning, middle and end. Um, talk a bit, a little, little bit about how that particular set of songs came about. When structuring like the whole album, it was very intentional. Because um, some people have asked us already, like, is the whole album a concept album? And it isn't. There is like a lot of reoccurring themes. Um, like Mike was just talking about for all the vocals, like a lot of it stems around going through personal growth, which is, I guess, our concept throughout the album. But then Hole in the Ice, um, for me, musically, was kind of stemmed around kind of like my favorite chord or key. Uh, Funny enough, like back when I was learning like good old Blink-182 songs as a kid, (laughs) anytime I picked up a guitar, I always just played like a B chord. That was kind of like my soundcheck chord. And then now we play in half step, so it's B flat, but it's still the same like spot on the neck, and that's kind of just always been my go-to. So to kind of just have some kind of like grounding on the album, like that's kind of where we always kind of sat, kind of like that B flat key. And then I've found a little cool like minor chord that kind of stems around that song, and then just kind of discovering how much motion and like variety there is within all the modes and different kind of things you can do within that key i was like crap like i'm writing a lot of riffs around this like chord progression (laughs) and like kind of thing and then i just kind of made it a fun thing to see like how much variety can i pull out of this concept and uh even hole in the ice like part one it's a short song but there's been so many demos of figuring out that song figuring out the tempos it's a two-minute song, and I think there's three tempo changes in that whole tempo drop at the end. <laughs> uh, 
but then even like the feel changes from that like dotted feel to triplets over the drums playing like non-triplet patterns and like all these little quirky things so it's so hard to find the tempo um and for that song and like which lead patterns are gonna work and stuff like there's so many ide- like old demos and i'm like holy crap like why did i think that sounded good like thank god i moved away from that idea like it just <laughs> clashed with the song so bad um but i knew i was i tried to challenge myself to be like hey like part one will be like a nice hello introduction part two will be like your regular length song and then part three um i knew i wanted to be like the last song on the album and i always loved when bands had like their epic long song as the closer like just to kind of be like we're not done yet like there's still a lot left in the tank <laughs> like you, i know we had your attention for like what 30 40 50 minutes but here comes the big epic closer and there's still bands doing that now but i felt like it kind of really had its prime time like for a little while and i just kind of want to like bring that back and like challenge ourselves to really make that happen and actually a bulk of that song i have a old instrumental demo called adventures at 4 a.m because a lot of the song is written at 4 a.m <laughs> and that song itself was 20 minutes long that i took parts from so i mean this song the initial demo was almost i think one of the bounces i was at 23 minutes and i'm like that's too much like that's <laughs> like I'm I'm pushing and now now I'm just kind of like just really like maybe I'm the only person that's gonna enjoy this for 23 minutes like we gotta trim it down and uh, so it's kind of same thing with like a lot of the other songs like we try to really just cut the fat and like have the parts that service the song and kind of how Mike said with the whole concept of like focusing on like one flaw that kind of makes your vision distorted about like a certain perfection or whatever um that whole part three is meant to be like a whole mental journey within like one song so it kind of starts off determined and and with like direction and kind of more poppy or like with choruses and hooks and then it kind of goes in that little rant section again and like a little more riffy with the guitars and then we kind of like fall off this cliff of like you kind of lose direction it's like okay where's it gonna go now and then the whole song kind of just gets sadder and sadder intentionally like i just made this the riffs get like let's dwell more in the minor key and much more in like (laughs) chord movements that are just like they don't resolve like you want that fourth chord to like give direction it's a lot of like three chord progressions uh different types of changes and feels or like there's one part, I think it's around like the six or seven minute mark, that's the uh, just a simple kind of chord, but the bass line in the background just kind of keeps changing rhythms and just kind of seems like everyone's kind of just like fighting and like all these like different kind of emotions are happening and uh, yeah, like that that's whole song, like it's it's very intentional. It's It's intentional to be a whole as if you if you didn't want to listen to the whole album, you can just take those three songs and kind of get an idea of like what you're gonna get with the album. Yeah, we were actually toying with the idea of because releasing. the album had taken so yeah. so long of releasing the trilogy as like its own sort of EP and and just calling it the whole the whole in the ice EP. 
Um, another thing just to add to what Nick was saying there, we kind of talked about this, uh, and I kind of want to upload that sometime this week, so maybe I'll finally have time to do that. We uh, we sort of had a uh, album rele- release listening track night with a couple of friends, just a little intimate thing, and uh, we <laughs> we were lame and did kind of like an interview session with our friends and just kind of talked about it. Um, and one thing that Nick hasn't added in here yet was just that this the the title itself, if only every day could be like this. Oh yeah, uh, is really the the feeling that the album tries to go for. It goes from just angry, shitty chaos, lots of lots of inner turmoil, lots of conflicting emotions, lots of going back and forth with yourself and with the people in your life, going nuts, hating yourself. Like it, there's so much going on at the very beginning, and then by the end of the album it sort of works itself towards this kind of serene acceptance. It's not happy. It's not sad. It's kind of just like, if only every day could feel this together. If only every day I could wake up feeling like things are okay, like things are right, like things are good now. And by the end of it, things are good. But then that last riff there takes you through that roller coaster of kind of like thoughts of, of, of like Nick was saying, of going over, oh shit, that was a series of mistakes I made, and you sort of like turn yourself back up, and by the end of the album, it kind of brings back that riff from whole part one, and it's kind of like the cycle is starting all over again. That cycle of rediscovering yourself, that cycle of getting back to feeling balanced, and that cycle of being normal and being happy. It's sort of a small representation of that album writing process of what we were all going through during the process of releasing the album. And we all felt like it was a topic that a lot of people could probably like it would resonate with a lot of people, just that struggle to find balance, that struggle to find who you are and what makes you happy and where you can feel okay. Yeah. Or just like when, that song title was or the album title was from an old demo of mine and uh, I titled it when I finished that demo because I just felt so good and I'm like yo if only every day can feel like this like I'm on a high right now like this song is good I feel confident things are making sense so like that was the most literal sense of it and then we kind of kept expanding on it and being like this is pretty cool but then uh, I just kind of remember giant emo. <laughs> <laughs> um even the hole in the ice, like where the title came from, kind of still makes sense to what we made it into. Because I kind of got the title from uh, the original version, not the remake, of uh, Let the Right One In. Not Let Me In. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah Let yeah. the Right One In. Hopefully you've seen that film. If not, it's a great... I think it was filmed somewhere in like, Scandinavia, like a yeah. horror yeah. movie. And it, it's like one of the movements of the film like kind of just does like a black title screen and it introduces the next section as a hole in the ice and the kids are playing hockey on the ice and that's the scene where he smacks the kid the bully with a stick on the ear and kind of like kind of gets his revenge but uh even that whole movie with that like chapter subtitle hole in the ice it like the kid falls in love with that girl even though she's a vampire and like has such an obvious imperfection he still kind of sees through that and goes like no but i like you but she's like, no, but I'm hideous. I'm a vampire, and I'm this and that. But he's like, I don't care. 
<laughs> so that kind of almost like with the kind of like relationships or like kind of love themes in the album like that's kind of what a lot of like me and Mike kind of went through of a lot of the kind of like partners we had to be with that are kind of like can't get over their own issues enough to kind of let somebody else in mm. which is always a struggle and then we feel like we're not good enough and vice versa and so it kind of like yeah it ties itself all together from where the song title kind of initially came from which is kind of interesting to kind of put together right now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it, it was Swedish. I've got the movie on my desk Swedish? here right yeah. now. <laughs> you actually have the movie like box? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Bought it not long ago. It's been sitting here on my please watch me pile.
you mentioned the, the title of the album. Where, where does the artwork come from? Who did you get to do that? And what was their brief? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the artwork, um, we went through a couple of iterations. There is a couple of artist friends that I tried to meet up with and like discuss concepts, but it never really went anywhere because it was so hard to really paint a picture of like the emotion of the album is. And all my friends that I tried to meet up with, like they were all still in school or like working on their theses and stuff. And like, they never really had the time to like invest and really help us out. And like no bad blood or anything. Like we're all still friends. Like it was just time really never allowed itself for it to happen. And then around this time last year, I was just going through my Instagram feed and um, one friend of mine, she's a professional photographer and uh, she kind of was on a trip across Europe and posted these pictures. And I saw what is now the album cover. She posted as like a just a random post. And I was like, you know, that like aha moment of like, that's the image. Like it's that cool little like bridge in the middle. The bottom of it is all like kind of sp- like spring and summer looking. And the top is like, winter on the top of the mountains kind of just encompasses so many elements into one simple image and i'm a sucker for like those epic like scenic shots and everything and initially we're just like with the band name like even the trees like we shouldn't have like no trees in the album cover (laughs) we should try (laughs) steer away from all those like obvious imageries but then we saw that i'm like no like it's not like it's a picture of like a tree on the cover. Like it's like something super obvious like that. Like it actually does encompass like a lot of depth within one simple image. And I remember I just started a message. I'm like, Hey, like your image like resonates so much with me right now. Like, I feel like it's going to be my band's like album cover. Are you cool with us using it? And she's like, Oh my God, I'm flattered. Like, thank you so much. Like, yeah, like let's do it. And I was like, she was still on the trip in the meantime. And I'm like, Hey, like, you know, I know you're going to take pictures anyways, but like, uh, go ahead and like take a ton of pictures. And then when she got back from the trip, um, we met up and she showed me the whole folder picture. She's like, cool, like pick some favorites, narrow it down, see which ones you guys want to use. And I think she initially had close to like 1500 pictures on the hard drive. I took home maybe like 430 of them of like all breathtaking shots that are like the album cover we see now. And I was like, oh, my God. I knew that one was still going to be the cover, but I know we want to have, like, a booklet and, like, other just general artwork to have to go along with the album cycle. And I'm just like, crap, like, this is going to be so hard to choose. Like, literally 400 images. We narrowed it down to the 15 that we use now. And, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a nice lining up of uh, coincidences and, like, she listens to a lot of the similar kind of like post-rock music that inspires the album. Uh, I think we made friends from like a Russian circle show or something like way back in the day. <laughs> and so that's a band that like I personally love and uh, kind of made sense that I know without hearing the music, she had the same kind of like inspiration and vibe behind the shots she took, which is why it kind of resonated. It wasn't the happiest scenic shots or anything. It was kind of like capturing the real mood of everything and if I'm not mistaken, that cover image is somewhere in northern Germany because she was in, like, northern Germany to some uh, Scandinavian countries briefly and then, like, Ireland and stuff, kind of that northern area of Europe. Um, yeah, because, like, even the 
if you download like the album off Bandcamp, each track has like an individual album art. Mm-hmm. Shameless uh, plug, album on Shameless Bandcamp. plug, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris did each, a really good track. job of taking those photos and turning them into really nice spreads, so you could actually yeah. enjoy them for what they are. Even if you go on the YouTube uh, stream of the album, I think we have the PDF mm. like, available right there. I think we do uh, too. Yeah. It just kind of like we tried to pick an image that matched each thing, and some of them are just like towns like for like walking fire is this like kind of clock tower looking thing and it just had like this really copper colored like sundown like uh sunset happening and stuff and it was just so not quite like the sky on fire but like just such a moody vibe and i was like damn like yeah so just kind of really finding like creative people around you and just kind of it just works out sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You sort of mentioned the fact that uh, you've done a lot of the uh, work recording the album yourself. Can you can you go through a bit of that? How that sort of worked out, and um, where you've got your sort of experience from prior to that? Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, th- uh, three of the four of us have like an engineering background. Um, me and the drummer Mike like still work in AV right now. Uh, Chris used to record bands and stuff after he went to school, but now he's a math genius um, <laughs> yeah. and wants to be a professor of that. Um, I'm not <laughs> saying that sarcastic at all. Like some of the things he tells us he's studying now, we're just like it's, it's wild. Cool. It's that theoretical <laughs> yeah. kind of math. It's it's really yeah. weird. Um, but he's still very passionate about production and everything, and still could like. Um, help with like that and with us and like be really critical when it comes to like feedback about mixes and stuff. So kind of from the ground up, we, when we had all the demos ready to go, we kind of went unintentionally backwards, but kind of just worked out that way since the drums already existed in MIDI form and stuff. I tried to track the whole album and guitar before we did drums so I can make some, like I had a lot of ideas. I wanted to try and guitar and stuff and kind of try to, surprise mike when he tracked drums and kind of like pull something out of him like when he was tracking drums so when i tell people that they're like why do you do guitar first and it's like because we have the drums kind of exist so the drums are kind of done first so we went up to um mikey's family they have a cottage up north in muskoka here like two three hours north and same thing i love the scenic like setting and we're just like next to like a frozen lake because we did it in april where it's still kind of winter uh, and yeah, we spent about eight or nine days there. We blew a couple of speaker cabinets for guitar and stuff, which set us back. There's a lot of technical issues. Um, that process was really crazy too. We rented out a whole bunch of miking and cables and all this equipment. We were running cables basically all over my entire cottage so that we had amps four, three or four of them set up in my parents' room with yeah. mattresses and dividers and, microphones like strewn all over the room and like it was room just, mic it, set up in tile bathroom yeah it was constant noise for like nine days straight our ears were were shot it was crazy yeah like in hindsight we should have given ourselves a strict like kind of work timeline be like nine to five yeah. like we're tracking <laughs> because i remember one evening like i couldn't tell what was in tune anymore and i was looking at my tuner it said it was in tune <laughs> And I was just having, like, a freak out. But uh, we got through, I think, eight of the 12 or eight or nine of the 12 songs. 
I think it might have been nine because we didn't yeah. have to worry and too then, much about uh, one. We literally, when we packed up, we took because I had the same equipment I was going to bring home, like microphones. We took such detailed pictures of the exact mic placement to the millimeter with like <laughs> a nice camera and everything. So I can reenact the same thing at home. It might not have the same like room sound, but I had this kind of um, makeshift uh, soundproof kind of box at home that was kind of built around like a desk and like mattresses and like um, futon mattresses that kind of folded over and made a little house over like a 212 cab. <laughs> And a lot of people are like, what the hell is this bed doing in the corner? I'm like, it's not a bed. It's actually a, uh, <laughs> please don't sit on it. Yeah, please please uh, don't touch. It was, yeah, so like I kind of got close to the tone we had there. Because um, I one thing I wanted to do was like, yeah, we tried to experiment with tones and stuff. But I want to kind of really have a cohesive sound and like not have a drastic like guitar tone change when it comes to like, track three and four like in between those two or something but funny little easter egg the cab that we were tracking with blew up during the tracking of progress avenue Mm -hmm. so if you really want to listen with a detailed ear i can't tell you what side but like the guitar tone will change on one side uh because you have to switch cabs and like it went from using my lovely emperor that blew up uh to using like a 212 that had v30 so it still had a very good sound but uh wasn't quite the same um but yeah so we tracked the guitars and then right away i took like about two two and a half weeks off work so the whole time we were tracking guitars mike was still learning the few songs left on drums including part three that we hadn't fully jammed yet or like in the fruition that we kind of like made up going to the studio so i gave him like the keys to like my jam space and like he would be in there just learning the songs like kudos to mike like he was working at the time virtually two full-time jobs because he's just started a job and he was still leaving the other one while learning nuts and like came into the studio like ready to go like he really like poured like every bit of himself into this record and i think we booked about a week to track drums and he laid it out in like four days yeah, we, so we drove like everybody up to like Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, we drove you guys up to up to oh, yeah, our um, friend's Belleville. In Trenton, Belleville, Trenton, 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 east of uh, Toronto here. Um, so we tracked that back to back, and then the game plan was to keep on going. But then we booked off time from like work and everything, and then um, there was like slight miscommunication on like how we were going to get the drum tracks back and just everyone kind of getting caught up in their own things. And then like, we eventually got those back and we're like, okay, let's finish this thing. Kind of like really hit the ground running and then kind of like stalled a bit and me kind of trying to get the guitar set up and like finishing the rest of the songs at home. And then, um, and then I, I ruined still, everything still during that time you were writing like some of the vocals because yeah. we had the music ready or just like, you know, just like get the vocals done when you can and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, you then, went to, <laughs> then I ruined everything because, uh, like I said, a lot of the album is dealing with me going through a lot of crap, whether it was relation stuff, sorry, relationship stuff or, um, career related stuff. And, uh, I was going through a mega rut towards the summertime as we were finishing up 
album stuff. I had basically finished writing the second last song because part three wasn't quite finished yet. And uh, I got fired, I got dumped, and a friend of mine offered me a job in China to go teach. And I kind of saw this as like, a, oh God, um, the album needs to get finished. I don't want to ruin this. Uh, but I really need to take this leap of faith for my career and for my own mental health. Um, if the, if the guys still like me after this, then it was meant to be, if they don't, then <laughs> my bad. <laughs> and I quickly to made spare the details. Like it got ugly, but yeah, it got we, real bad, but we I made a deal with didn't the guy. Talk to each other for a little again. while. Then we talked it out and we're friends. Yeah. Again. Yeah. We're cool now. Uh, but I made a quick deal with the guy out in Trenton, our buddy Todd, love him to yeah. death. And, uh, yeah, I, I shipped myself out to Borland studios within a week, recorded the whole album, finished up part three while I was there screaming my lungs out for like a week and a bit. Cause then I added a bit of extra time after getting sick midway through it. And then I was shipped out to China within a week after finishing that. And then I got to watch Nick and Chris do bass recording live streams for the next couple yeah. of weeks. So we, we kind of went in a weird order. We did guitar, <laughs> guitar, drums, vocals, bass. So it makes sense yeah. out of that. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, wild. Thankfully, Todd like exists and is in the picture and all this because it wouldn't have happened without him. Because when yeah. Mikey dropped the option of going to China, like it just blew up all of our worlds and we're just like... um well, the album's not done yet, like, what's going to happen, blah, blah. And I was so upset that, like, we the initial plan was to track the vocals with me. I would bought, like, a preamp and everything for the mic and stuff. And um, it wouldn't have happened well. Like, it wouldn't have been a nice scenario. Like, I, I didn't want to imagine what it would have been like. It w- we might have not even, like, existed now if we tried to track vocals together. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it would have been messy. Um, so thankfully you just kind of took a leap of faith and called up Todd and said, like, do you have any time? And like, kind of surprised us. And then we knew like when we tracked like vocal demos before that, like we never tried to get like the final take. Cause it's like, cool. We got the idea. This is just for our ears only. Like we know in our heads, like what the final idea is going to be like, even though the performance isn't like a hundred percent right now mm-hmm. and this and that, um, we can see the final product. And then the fact that like, I know getting those final takes and everything would be like really tough. And that Todd being a vocalist as well was able to help Mikey. I imagine like kind of pull that out of him. And then we got what we got. And like, we heard like stems one at a time. We're like, Holy shit. So it was as if like getting this, the stems from Todd was like our album, like leaking to yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Being, like, okay, here's like these couple of tracks. Like, Holy crap. And then like a week of silence and like, Oh, here's two more. And like, Oh my God. Cause he was kind of, comping and like editing the tracks while doing other clients and stuff so like we had to kind of patiently wait to get all the songs it was just like holy crap like this song's amazing oh my god he did this and that and i think the, the last song we got was part three because of course i had to keep this, the fucking suspense up and yeah. it's like a daunting <laughs> yeah. 10 minute track like a vocals so he left that for last obviously and then like we got that and initially i was like is that it and then like the song, like, I played it more and more because it, it was such a, like, long song that, like, there's so much ex- expectations for it, but then I was like, no, this makes sense, and then, like, reading the lyrics more and more and just, like, how they were structured, it's like, 
it became like one of all of our favorites, like really, really quickly. Cause like, that was the one was, song that I hadn't touched with anybody. I yeah, kind of did it so on we, my it own. It was like totally blind for us. Like it was the first time hearing it. So it's like we, in our minds initially we want to be like, cool. And then like hear it and then offer up things to like change or like this and that. But we're like, no, this isn't a demo. Like this is it. Like him and Todd, we have to put our trust into them. And like in hindsight, like I still wouldn't change anything about it. Like I love the song thoroughly. Um, so I'm glad it worked out that way. And then um, after that was a whole bunch of, well, him not being in the country, we were playing instrumentally live to kind of keep ourselves like um, like relevant in the scene here locally in Toronto and like surrounding cities. And um, some people knew what was going on and we didn't like publicly like make a post and being like, oh, he's gone in China and like blah, blah, because uh, who cares to hear that? And we don't want to like stir up any like public like comments. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, it kind of gave us more time to really hone, at least for me, like my mixing skills. So I even now when I listen to the initial mixes I had when I got the vocal stems that I tried to send to the guys being like, cool, like here's like a pretty good like idea of the song. I listen to those now and like I am so happy it, it we took our time to like really get the songs to where they should be and like mm. do them justice. Because if we put it out two years ago, Right now, we'd be doing like a remix and re-release for sure. <laughs> I'd just be one of those like redundant re-releases or stuff that would just kind of keep ourselves happy. Because um, yeah, throughout the process, I was just really studying a lot of other mixes. Uh, a lot of my favorite producers releasing like stem packs of uh, a lot of my favorite bands conveniently. So I was able to like literally study and like look at like EQ graphs and everything of like what's in their guitars what's in uh in their drum tracks what level are, is this whole mix sitting at and trying not to get that instant gratification of like a super loud mix and everything and like we mix it pretty quiet when it actually comes down to it like leaving a lot of headroom for the mastering and then when it came to like doing all the mix downs it was just a constant process of me sending it to the guys and them all giving like a full sheet back of like, you know, Mike, you would be mostly concerned with vocals naturally and being like, cool, maybe try a different reverb here, this effect here, a sound a little nasally here, watch a de-esser. <laughs> um, and then Chris would really have like the nitpicking, like, especially for drums, he had a lot of good catches of like, oh, the cymbals are a little piercing here, bring this down. Um, you know, like, I didn't, didn't know you were doing that on guitar, that sounds cool, but then like it kind of buries this or all in all and then you know a lot of them had the same feedback so like when it got to like all three of them kind of like whoever was last to respond was like yeah what they said and this <laughs> so <laughs> it was a lot of that which was really healthy and then like when it got to mastering um a good friend of mine mike stringer uh he used to play in a band called i wrestle a bear once but he's from vancouver um across the country here in canada and uh he always had a band called Fallen Archaea for a little while, and that's where he made friends, like, back when we were both, like, 18, 19. He played a show here at Sneaky D's. So we always kind of, like, he was always doing music much more actively, and I was always trying to get a project to, like, try to, like, play shows with him and stuff. And then uh, I don't regret anything. Like, we took our time to get where we are. But uh, he was always very active in, like, all these different projects. And then when it came to the last couple of Fallen Archaea releases and his new project, now Spirit Box, I'm like, yo, who's mixing and mastering this? 
and it was uh, Daniel Bronstein in L.A., who used to be a member of uh, Volumes. And other than, like, Spirit Box and Fallen Arcade, he mastered the last Avail of Maya album. And I was like, fuck, like, all those albums sound really good. And we had other people in mind that we wanted to, like, master, but then when we found projects that were just mastered by them, they didn't quite have what we liked about their other records. Maybe it was those people's mixes as is. Um, and so we got in touch with him. I sent him a couple songs that were like mix ready because I wasn't just going to get a blind reference from him. It'd be like, oh, cool. Here's my buddy. Like, I'll put my name for it on this reference. And like, what if it sucked, you know? Um, <laughs> and so we finally got a hold of him. And then when he did Progress Avenue initially, he sent us a test master and then his his feedback was like literally like turn down the kick drum 1 dB watch the 250 hertz on the snare and I'm like he was awesome Yo, I was boosting 249 like this guy like his ears are just magical and he's like try this on the bass I usually like to have a little more like low mids and made all these like fine tuning adjustments I was a little self conscious and I was expecting him to be like bro just send me the stems I'll mix this for you (laughs) or like you got a lot of work to do my man come back in a month or something like I was expecting something like that because we're so invested in like we're honestly like a little too self-conscious for a good sometimes uh, (laughs) about some things and like we're just like yeah like and they gave that back and then we heard a test master and we're just like holy shit having been like invested in this project for like three years like in the making of it was like hearing the songs for the first time mastered and it was like mm-hmm. seriously surreal. And then uh, that's what you guys hear now. And like, we couldn't be happier with the fucking result. Like, it, like to be frank, like for all of us, like it is a dream of ours to like make a record, like uh, of something we pour everything into and just have like a tangible, like product that yeah. hopefully this is our baby. Else. It's our baby that like, hopefully other people will discover much like we discovered some of our own like independent underground bands that like we fell in love with. Like we got some messages of people uh, like, like really positive, like feedback about the album, but like their stories kind of bring me back to when I found like a band like moving mountains, for example, I remember vividly the first moment I heard their songs and how floored I felt and like moved. And that's what like these people sending us a message about our stuff. And I'm like, that was primarily our goal of like just really inspiring and like just wanting to kind of through music re- just really resonate and resonate and mm. yeah. The the music you know there's a lot of stuff going on, but one of the mm-hmm. two of the major threads are obviously you know sort of post hardcore hardcore music yeah. as well as post rock like those two don't necessarily run in the exact same circles. What, what, what sort of interests you in those two, <laughs> two aspects of you know, the musical spectrum? It's funny. A lot of that is stuff that the four of us realized when we got together. Nick and I specifically bonded over a lot of stuff like um, This Will Destroy You, um, Being as an Ocean, uh, I'm trying to think of some other big ones, but like a lot of the bands that we bonded over tended to do the stuff that we were trying to capture here, like marrying those two as best as we can. Our our tastes are so diverse in the band as well. Chris and Nick 
and Mike all working in record stores have been exposed to so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and their tastes are everywhere. Nick's constantly hunting through Russian Reddit looking for things, <laughs> things creeping around on the internet that might kind of inspire him. And a lot of how a lot of that strange marriage of sounds comes from our strange marriage of tastes. It's it's really fun to work together because it's like, oh, guys, did you hear this new song from this intense, crazy, like thrashy band? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. By the way, here's this pop band that I'm really into today. And like it just works. And yeah, I don't know. Nick, where, where does a lot of your a lot of this feed into your writing? Like the bulk of it and the concept is like I filled in for metal bands before I filled in for like straight up post hardcore bands and et cetera. And it's fun playing that one genre, but in the back of my mind, I knew in the long run as if like one band was to be something that would be my like full-time focus, it would have to have a broad interest for me. Like it can just be a metal band. Cause I would kind of, maybe get bored of that for like a brief mm. period or something. So I knew I wanted to have this project be very um, non-pigeonholed with like genres. Like sure, something has to be like comprehensive in the sound. Like there has to be a certain tag. And there's so many subgenres nowadays, but thankfully like those two mentioned are like progressive or like post, post-hardcore and this and that even within post-hardcore, you can have somebody like Memphis Mayfire, something that's very like poppy and well, at least in the recent releases kind of like very structured and poppy, but then you can still have super messy experimental stuff that falls into that blanket, like a lot like birds or something that really spans a lot of different genres, but they're both on the same umbrella, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't necessarily call them the same band. Um, but our music tastes like, I always joke around like anytime my iPod's in the car, I just call them DJ Shuffle because it would go from like something super heavy like Admiral Anger or like Tony Danza to like the most ambient like Hammock or Helios, uh, Godspeed kind of songs. And then you'd get like kind of more alt rock like uh, Third Eye Blind or like Matthew Good playing. And then like some pop stuff were just really obscure stuff and it just kind of that's the beauty of music there's so much cool stuff out there that like i can't stand personally when people say like i love all music but i hate country yeah. it's like bullshit <laughs> you're lying because i know if i was to hum a country song to you you start tapping your foot or something or like you know the words there's just like uh one of my best friends and i like uh whenever we talk to like family and stuff about this we just only see like good and bad music regardless of genre like there's good classical music and then there's subjectively bad there's good metal there's bad metal like but then that bad metal to somebody else is good so there's that's why everything coexists like nobody's going to agree on everything and that's fine let people create like every everyone's going to find their own thing they like in music mm. and so with that in mind, you know, I feel like I wouldn't alienate a post-rock fan that gets lured into our music for our ambient sections and then still having all of our other elements because we kind of just, like, dabble in a whole bunch of different genres. Mm. But I hope we do it tastefully. 
Yeah, um, and I hope I hope that it kind of acts as like a, a bridge for a lot of music fans too. I find that most of the albums I've fallen in love with have been the ones that have brought something new to my table, something that's like introduced me to something else. Like when I fell into Fall of Troy, that introduced me to so much. Like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't just a post hardcore album. It was falling into that moniker of of kind of like math and progressive technical metal. It was um then albums after that just started progressed into things that felt a little bit more bluesy and rock and roll and it's just cool to run into bands that will open your eyes to other things the the biggest thing that we tried to do with the album is try to do something that's mature that will appeal to mature musicians because it does so much and for the 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 coming of age musicians i guess the coming of age listeners it gives them something to explore, something to actually sit there and digest, something to analyze. For some people, it'll be really pretentious and wanky and all over the place, but that's just subjective, right? Like like Nick was saying, it's something that might not be for everybody, but hopefully it's something that everybody can at least respect for what it is. And then speaking on behalf of like the other members, I know... Mike, on the surface, he's very passionate about his like metal and like groove metal stuff. But at the same time, he'll flip the coin and like go right onto like your folky acoustic pop kind of stuff or synth pop kind of music or anything. Like we're all over the map. Uh, same thing with Chris. Like we all have. I think our foundational love is like kind of quirky music that's really challenging like with time signatures or just kind of spazziness because uh, i know me and chris bonded over like a lot of like fall of troy or like horse the band number 12 looks like you a lot of mm-hmm. those kinds of bands and then mike would hear that and be like yo i love those guys too and then like our drummer he loves more of like metal uh, like meshuggah and like that other kind of like more technical stuff so we all have these different branches that challenge music in the same way that all kind of confide and then we can still, like, the worst kind of situation to be in is having a member in the band that's, like, you have, to, like, spoon feet, spoon feet influences to. And yeah. be like, cool, you're a great drummer or something, but, like, listen to these records and play like this guy because that's that's when you kind of get forced or, like, get a really obvious, like, rip-off or barring of styles. Instead, this way, like... It's been really know, organic because we don't have been to organic. do that. And it doesn't matter that like three of the four of us love one band and then one guy's like, cool, I dig them. But like he, he doesn't have that nostalgic pull that we do from a certain project, but he'll take his time getting into it and vice versa. Like it's the kind of fun of it. It's not taking it too personal or too seriously of like, well, like how can you not like this? It's my favorite record ever. Like this isn't going to work. But it's yeah. like, no, <laughs> you found something that clicked in it it's eventually gonna take time for them or maybe it'll never happen there's so many bands that like people love that you know it shocks a lot of people when i tell them like i'm not a big fan of slipknot but i love so much metal i don't say slipknot sucks because that's obviously not a fact but nothing clicked about slipknot with me for example and that like we can talk about that all day long sorry (laughs) (laughs) music is good TL, TL, too long didn't listen. Yeah. Nick, w- when did you start playing guitar and why did you stick with it? Uh, 
around the age of 10. So it's been an embarrassing amount of 17 years now. I was hoping nice. to be like, what, play like Tosin Abasi by now or something. Yeah. But <laughs> like I said, I always loved more melodic playing versus shredding, but I still always kind of have a quiet envy for shred. <laughs> um, but funny enough, I wanted to play drums first and then bass, and then I settled with guitar. Um, but then through means of discovering like MIDI and Guitar Pro that I can learn drums in my head. And then, you know, playing guitar, I, I eventually got a bass and then was able to write both parts like on the real instruments and kind of play both. Um, it was a lot of fun. But then I guess I really stuck to guitar. Kind of, I guess I found my voice on it and like confidence and the fact that uh, I learned I can convey the most proper emotion through that instrument. Uh, vocals is something I've always wanted to do, but I've never had the balls to try. Which we're is working on that. We're working on that. <laughs> Some low-key info there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, with, like, drums and stuff, like, I'm, I'm still trying to play that. Like, I'm much better now than I was back then, but uh, I've always kind of loved those main instruments. And, like, you know, I wish the music program in high school I had was a little better because some of the initial ones kind of really patted you on the head being like wow that's amazing you can play something more complex yeah. than Mary had a little lamb so you get an A yeah. automatically <laughs> and I'm like really like and then when it came to like more high school like keyboard class I took our teacher was an absolute prick and like made it so unappealing for no reason and kind of turned me off from that for a little while and I kind of wish that wasn't the case because like piano is like a really really cool instrument that i wish i could play better uh, mm -hmm. i think the track repeat is like the extent of my piano skills like on that song but i wish i could actually play like some more cool stuff um yeah so it's been a little while but uh moving forward like i'm trying to always hone in on like focusing on the riff or like the song but we do have an itch to try be like a little more technical or a little more some so, somewhat shreddy here and there just to kind of like it's just fun and like we pushed ourselves <laughs> like me and Mike is he played drums as long as I've been playing guitar so he, since around the age of ten or so so we're like really on par and like uh, on the same like level playing field here where like our skills are on par so we can really push ourselves and be like come on we should like try something a little more interesting than that or something. Mike, when did you start doing vocals? Oh, um, it's been a long time, actually. I got, uh, we have a local choir school here in Toronto, St. Mike's Choir School. Um, and they make a really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of mics involved in our story. Um, but St. Mike's, uh, they're, they're kind of known for, performances at Massey Hall they're known for having really big Christmas concerts and stuff like that and it's an all-boys kind of choir thing uh, they poached me when I was in grade two from my elementary school so I was a part of a choir program for two years it was a really cool experience because it's where I built up a lot of my kind of repertoire of I, I guess theory uh, a lot of my theory kind of came from those couple years they forced me to learn piano too, and I also had kind of a a dickhead Russian lady teacher <laughs> who made me hate piano. So I also did not continue with it as long as I wanted to. Um, 
But yeah, I've been singing since I think I was like seven or eight years old. And I was in a band in high school because a friend of mine heard about my history and was like, hey, you should go play music with this cute guy that I want to talk to. Be my excuse to talk to him. So that <laughs> that led to me being in, a, in the, my other band, The World Awake, that's kind of sort of on hiatus right now. But I've been singing through that band for a long time. And I think it was only in this period of Even the Trees that I really have pushed myself and found my footing and become a much more comfortable and confident vocalist. I've always had decent range. I've always pushed myself to learn how to scream, but it wasn't really until this band that I really buckled down and I was like, okay, I need to, you know, see some growth. I finally find my footing, finally feel like I'm happy with what's coming out of my throat. I need to be happy with my instrument. Mm, but when did the uh, screaming come into it? Um, screaming stuff started, uh, I'm trying to think, my band, The World Awake, kind of went through like five iterations. Our our group was, you, you know what it's like when you're a teenager, right? You find your first band and you're suddenly, I'm a rocker now. And then a couple weeks later, another album drops and you're like, ooh, I'm a rap guy now. And I think we kind of went through these phases of like, that mimicked itself in our songwriting in that band. And I was an alt-rock guy for a while where a lot of my influences were from Incubus and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then we kind of went through a ska phase for a while. And we went through, uh, I think the the biggest pivotal change was when we got introduced to bands like Alexis on Fire and Protest the Hero, Canadian bands. So, you know, joining that, that, that group of musicians now feels really cool. Um but bands like that, that incorporated the post-hardcore sound or that metal sound and had clean singing accompanied by screaming. And I was just, I was fascinated by that, that combination of textures, that like aggression with having the feeling and soft and warm vocals of a clean singer. And I always wanted to learn. And we played with a ton of bands at house shows and at local venues that had screamers. And I was like, I want to do that. And my mom was like, hell no, we paid for all these vocal lessons. You're going to ruin your voice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and it became like, I think that started maybe when I was like 16, 16 or 17, that I was like, I finally was driving my car and I was able to scream in my car or at my friend's house away from my family so I could practice my screaming <laughs> or at a show. And I was in a loud enough environment that I could just belt so loud that it was breaking my voice. And again, it wasn't until even the trees where I finally actually figured it out. I finally found where that careful balance between I'm making a cool sound and I'm going to really regret this tomorrow. <laughs> what have you guys been listening to, watching, uh, reading recently? Uh, listening to what's been on my radar lately. I've been trying to like catch up on new releases lately because I'm... Like I mentioned earlier, I'm really passionate about like collecting music, and I, I like honestly, I'm a like a big fan of music in general. Like other than writing it and stuff, so I listen to a ton of stuff. But I love my weird Swedish metals, and I just found uh, Stuart <laughs> Near. I think it's pronounced. It's oh yeah, yeah. That's the, not 
It's a member of Humanity's Last Breath, one of those guitarists, but it's with the whole Vilhiarda like family of quirky metal, this instrumental metal release that's like so mind bending. Uh, so the new heavy. AFI EP is actually really good. I was really happy with that. Um, kind of more punky sound. Uh, to take a bit of a turn, um, the vocalist from Periphery has a new side project called Nick Mas- Nick Mystery. That's so like 80s synth wave pop kind of thing, but it's so good. Um, new Unearth was really, really like balls to the wall heavy. Uh, I dug that. Um, otherwise I have a weird soft spot for a lot of like heavy death core and stuff. I love my <laughs> obnoxious breakdowns and like 808 drops. There's this band called Acrania. I was recently shown that has a new EP. Uh, there's, um, within destruction. And then, uh, another local band uh, from Toronto, the parallel, kind of doing that like tech metal kind of thing. They're really good. Um, I got to see what those guys are about and like where they're from and try to maybe like play some shows with them. That'd be sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as watching stuff. Yeah. Like I said, I'm all over the map of like new releases other than that. Uh, oh fuck. Hope's fall. Uh, <laughs> it's a band from, I think North Carolina one of my biggest influences, they were gone for like over a decade and they finally came back. They were teasing new, new material for the last five years and it finally happened. And it's probably up there as like my album of the year next to like architects and stuff like that for obvious reasons. Um, then there's obviously that whole like Swan core movement out in the Mm. West coast, uh, with like dance, Gavin dance, hail the sun, uh, like birds, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, TV shows and stuff. I love my horror movies. There hasn't been much horror movies lately worth mentioning. So I've kind of fallen off that and, and not, not working at HIV anymore. I used to like really keep up with movies over there. Um, but as far as like reading, um, it all falls back into music. There's uh, Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die. He, I just was at their show this past weekend and I got his new book. Um, I think it's called Watch. Uh, he's really, really creative and weird with his writing. I remember his old book that he came came out with a couple years ago. Like one page is like reality, and then the next page is like a fictional imagination of this character, and it bounces back and forth. But like sentences would carry on to the next page, so it's fucked. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to read because you have to mentally flick your brain to each personality, and then. Uh, Another thing that I'm looking forward to reading is uh, the drummer from As Cities Burn has a couple books he just put out. Um, backstage, How I Almost Got Rich Playing Drums in a Christian Hardcore Band. So it's him <laughs> really talking about um, being in As Cities Burn and the whole Solid State Records and Cornerstone Fest and all of the. He's really transparent in the excerpts I've read. And then he has a follow-up about their last two records before they broke up back in, like, 2010 or so. Um, Yeah, it's really transparent and kind of cool to read with, like, the whole, you know, quote-unquote Christian metal and, like, Christian hardcore bands. And, like, how genuine is it, question mark? (laughs) Because Emery has their whole Bad Christian podcast that exposes a lot of things. But not necessarily to, like, rat people out, but just kind of be like, 
hey, like we say shit and fuck sometimes and we drink some beers, but we also are kind of down with Jesus. Like <laughs> that's kind of their whole thing. And like, it's so shocking to be like, well, that's the whole metal influence and that's why it's bad and evil. But it's like, no, it's just a different outlet. Um, but yeah, those are really interesting and I'm looking forward to reading those. I'm all over the place, honestly. I haven't had much of a social life because, again, teaching and all that. But um, in terms of music, the stuff that's been keeping me sane lately, uh, I was really into that new Andreas release. Uh, a lot of the uh, like the Cali scene has been huge in influences on me in the last while. Uh, the kind of poppy, punky, math rock sort of avenue of music. Um, so, yeah, I was really into that recent Andreas release. Um, I've been huge on bands like Good Game. Anything that uh, Brock, Brock Besnell gets involved in is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, and he's one of the few musicians who's, who inspired my Strandberg purchase. So I'm working on my guitar chops over the next while, I think. Um, who else have I been listening to? I got really into a bunch of K-pop recently. got some Blackpink and Twice. Uh, but honestly, a lot of the music I've been listening to lately has been Friends. There's been so many friends in the last while that have I've met through social media or who we've kind of met through playing so shows together. Um, a really sweet Filipino dude, Jason Crook from the States. He's in a band called uh, In the Background, and he recently released a really nice folky progressive, mathy, acoustic, emo sort of album. Uh, I got a friend, John, who's in a, a group called Aura of Birth. Heavy, oh, yeah. awesome, so good. It's kind of if in the in the same vein as um, a band that Nick and I bonded over called Substructures. And, oh, it's awesome. I'm so excited for him <laughs> to release some music in the next while. So he's been really on my radar. And... Uh, I, I guess another group, another post-hardcore sort of groovy group of guys from Detroit called Sincerely. Uh, I've been pretty close with one of, with their guitarist Christian. Uh, I know that they really recently lost a drummer, so they're sort of looking for some some sort of replacement so they can get back out on the road and playing again. But so many cool friends out there doing a lot of really cool stuff. And as for other stuff, I don't know. Um, I've been really into playing Super Smash Brothers since that came out. <laughs> uh, and I'm still trying to finish reading Portrait of Dorian Gray that I started like three months ago. Uh, I'm trying to finish House of Leaves that I started reading like five months ago. <laughs> There's five a lot months, going on. Ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I started rereading it in the summer. I started reading it like three years ago because it's a massive, stupid book and it's crazy. But. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I got to do during these holidays. <laughs> right, there's two more quick ones, if you don't mind, that just came to mind. I found this one last night, this band. Uh, I think it's they just say Kanashi, K-A-O-N-A-S-H-I. They're from uh, Pennsylvania, I think. It's as if the contortionists during um, Exoplanet era was a hardcore band with like number 12 looks like you vocals with really transparent lyrics about the stresses of growing up. Like their single is called what's your five year plan. 
and it's about <laughs> like everyone fucking being on your case like why don't you just work in a kitchen why don't you become a banker why don't you become this and this and this and that it's just really obvious like life stress kind of stuff and the vocalist is so amazing in his delivery um yeah i found that last night and it's like really really cool worth checking out and then uh another band that's been uh really inspiring that's a bit different is bad rabbits mm. uh, boston mm. so good they mend men a perfect mix of fucking r&b and post hardcore like their live show is like watching at the drive-in as if michael jackson produced the songs with <laughs> like all the 90s like r&b all-stars like in the same room or something like it's such a cool fucking mix it's su- super then, bouncy uh, i love it lastly i mentioned with the mastering is a uh, spirit box based out of vancouver the uh husband wife duo um x i wrestle a bear once members so it's still very technical and metal but very melodic and a lot more focus on quality songwriting and like memorable hooks and stuff um, and they're finally playing debut live shows. They just announced with Misery Signals in the Ooh. spring, so which is really, really rad of them to see. I know they were like really waiting to like make their fucking first shows like a big impact. So yeah, happy for them.
That was Tonight We Don't Think We Do. Before that, we heard A Hole in the Ice Part 2, and the first song during the interview was Progress Avenue, all by Even the Trees from their debut album, If Only Every Day Could Be Like This. Thanks so much to the guys for chatting to me. Um, you know, it's always a little bit difficult to organise stuff with people who are across the other side of the world, but we made it work, and um, that, that's one of the, some of the most rewarding. Obviously, this podcast is kind of focused on Australian music. Yeah, well, some of the most rewarding conversations is getting chat with up-and-coming bands from overseas as well. You can send me an email at australianhunger at gmail.com. Send me your thoughts, your comments, questions. If you're in a band and you're uh, interested in an interview, send me an email and we'll see what we can do. And you can also hit me up on social media, OzHunger on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And of course, if you like this podcast, rate it on iTunes and all that jazz. But thank you so much for joining me. It's going to be a pretty wild ride over the next couple of weeks. So I did five interviews. Uh, this week, which is partly why this interview is released a little bit later than I'd hoped, but um, hopefully we'll be able to get these episodes out nice and quick over January. See ya!